Nothing happens in Valleygate. We get a lot of rain in Valleygate, but we don't get a lot of snow. We mostly get it up in the mountains near the peaks and over where the areas where there's more skiing and industry, but in Valleygate it mostly gets to rain by the time it reaches that low on the mountain. But on Friday evening into Saturday morning, there was a curious, not storm, but a event, a phenomenon of a significant amount of snow dropping on Valleygate, and seemingly only on Valleygate and in the Titan Valley. And it built up on people's lawns and on their trees and on their homes. And every now and again when a creature would shake a branch of a tree, you'd get these beautiful sparkling cascades of snow that would fall from the bough and onto the ground. Within a few hours, most of the snow on the cement or asphalt had melted away, but the snow remained on the lawns and the porches of families who decided to take it a little slower on Saturday to not shovel their driveway and just to smell the snow tends to give sort of a magical fairy dusting to romantics and dreamers and people who see it as a potential for something new since snow does not always fall in Valleygate. And one of the people who was inspired was Castle Stormheart, the half-giant who lives with Kinder Whitetail above the Shepherd's Nook Cafe. Kinder had to open the cafe after all. A snowy day is the perfect place for people to gather and spend time in the warm interior while the snow continues to fall outside. And so Castle was up in the apartment all by herself, and so she decided to work on her novel, a novel that she hadn't started yet, but a novel that she'd been thinking of for a while. She thought she could write and decided she would sit down with her computer in the living room there with the fire going and with a little cup of hot cocoa. And she brewed up her hot cocoa and got started. She wanted to at least get a page or and then a page turned to a paragraph, and a paragraph turned to a line, and a line turned to a single word, just start, she wanted to. And the snow was inspiring her, but she wasn't sure where to start. Her story is a fiction novel about a young half-giant woman who was abandoned by her parents at a very, very, very young age and goes to live with two human parents in a far north and remote village in ancient times, and the young woman was a half-giant herself and never felt a part of human society, even if she was used to their customs and their cultures. She always felt like she was on the fringes, and much of what this character felt was very reminiscent of Castle, and she thought that maybe that was okay, because after all, what do you write from if not experience? And so Castle continued to think about her plot all morning and didn't get a word to the page until the afternoon when she finally came up with a name for her character. She'd been calling the character Castle, if only because she knew she would change it later, but she finally came up with a name. She called the young woman Vala, and she had Vala in a remote, snowy village, and that's where she began. She began far north, beyond the ice caps, beyond the timber line. Levala Stormheart. She knew she would change the last name as well, but she chose to just get started. Vala's whole heroic journey would be one of discovery, and 
how she doesn't really belong in either world, neither the giant nor the human world, and so she decided to have Vala thrown into a political battle between giants as she goes about and harvests the ice from the nearby ice fields. And she would find herself among a couple of frost giants who'd be arguing back and forth about who should become the new Jarl of their tribe, and she would mediate the argument as a neutral third party, especially because giants don't often consider half-giants to be a very important threat or a very high-class member of society, and so they agreed to let her mitigate it, and she did so, and in doing so, the next morning, she woke up with an odd symbol right above her collarbone, an odd giant rune, not something she'd ever seen before, and she would get it discerned and figure out what it was, and then she would eventually go on to be collecting more runes by doing great folklorish deeds among the giant peoples. Well, she would eventually find out that the god of the giants had shattered any sort of class structure between all the giants and was hoping that in doing so, he would reignite the passion in his creation, in his giants, and that they would scramble for his attention trying to get a higher ranking in the class of giants. And a part of his plan was to inspire a half-giant young person, promise them a place among the class of giants, if only she would complete the task he had set before her, which was to collect all the runes and remind the giants of the grand heroes of the past and what they could become if only they would stop being so apathetic to the world around them. And she had all this planned out, Castle did. She had all the ideas set, but she couldn't get anything to paper. But that snowy morning, she finally decided to get started. And start she did. She got a page done, then a second page, then a third. She took a break for lunch, then she completed a fourth and fifth. And by the day was up, she had completed a good 15 to 20 pages of work, something she was proud of, and she was excited. She wanted to do something with it. She wanted to pass it on, and she couldn't wait for Kinder to come back upstairs after her shift so she could share with her what she had created. And so instead of sending it to Kinder immediately, she was so excited, she sent it to her friend Aria and her friend Olive, who don't live in town, but are friends of hers, and they read it, and they were they were amazed at what she could come up with, and they were very excited to hear more about the novel. Well, Castle was not the only one inspired by the snow. Robert Holly Clover, a substitute at the high school, was at home eating a sorry lunch, something that passed for lunch, and he decided that he would take a walk in the woods. Maybe that would give him a little more connection that he wasn't feeling this time of year. He had called his brother, he had reached out to his family, but he was still feeling alone. And he stepped outside, he put on his hiking boots, even though he knew that wasn't the right idea, if only he had snow boots, but he didn't have them. So he decided to take a hike in them anyway, and he went out in the snow, trudging through it. The snowbanks, especially in the woods, had grown somewhat high. And he went through them knocking over large embankments and feeling snow give way beneath his feet until he finally came to a area he had not seen before, a pond, a icy pond, and he knelt before it, trying to see if 
You could recognize it, trying to study the area around it, but it looked like an alien planet covered in snow, and he couldn't recognize much of anything. Well, he found a dock there. A dock did extend out into the ice, and he carefully and tenderly placed his foot on the wood and stepped further and further out, and he felt the cracks and the creaking below him. But he eventually reached the end of the dock, and he peered down into the snow, and he cleared the snow away and saw ice underneath, deep blue ice with almost a perfect reflection of himself looking back. It was broken up by various crystallized forms beneath the surface, but he could still see himself. He could make out his own eyes and his own lips and his own ears, and and then it changed. His reflection changed. It was not that of himself, no, it was that of a woman's, a woman's gaze looking back at him from the reflection of the ice, and he reached down to touch it, and as he did, his hand, his fingers pierced the ice, not not aggressively, but this ice seemed to cling to him, seemed to form around his hand as he reached down, and his hand went through the ice, and he felt below the ice a another hand, and at this he began to panic. There was someone underneath the ice, and he needed to get get them out, and he took his boot, and he sat on the edge of the dock and stamped down on the ice, trying to break it, trying to clear it away for this person. But when he got through the ice, the woman was gone. There was no body left, and where he had felt a hand, there was nothing but seaweed and frozen pond detritus that had frozen in the ice and had been released when he broke it. And Robert was curious. He came back on Saturday evening just to see if anything had happened. Well, he noticed that the ice had perfectly reformed where he had broken it and the snow had fallen again on top. So he cleared the snow again and saw the woman's face. And this time he tried not to panic. He tried to keep himself calm and he reached through the ice and felt the hand once more. And it was cold. It was cold like a body's, but it moved and was soft and gentle to the touch. And the woman smiled at him when he took her hand. And then she began to pull him, pull him closer to the ice. And Robert, feeling the profound loneliness of a holiday season without another, he allowed this to happen. Eventually his arm was fully under the ice and then his other arm and then at last he closed his eyes and let his face be immersed in the chilled water. Well, he found himself back on the dock. But things had changed. The leaves had no longer vanished and he was no longer surrounded by snow. He was on the dock, definitely, but the water was clear and it was a blue pool of gentle fish moving here and there and the wind moved in the leaves like it had been summertime and it was summertime he could hear the cicadas he could hear the loons in the distant lake and the distant rivers in the north of valley gate he got up stepped off the dock and ventured through the woods again, back towards Valleygate, back towards his home, and where his home was, was not a home indeed, it was a cabin, an odd structure he did not recognize. 
And he stepped forward, he stepped toward it, and found that there was someone there living, someone in the cabin. He opened the front door, wondering who could possibly be in his own home, and it was the woman, the woman from the lake. She sat on a chair near a dining room table and was reading a book. She looked over and smiled as he came in, and she said, Hello, love. Back already. And there was something about it that comforted him, even though he didn't know who this woman was or what had been going on. He looked down at himself. It it was indeed him. He was still wearing his hiking boots, still caked with ice that had not come unstuck in the warm summer afternoon. And he looked at her and he said, Yes, the woods was not as unfeeling as I had originally thought. And he stepped inside, and he laid on the bed, and she laid next to him. And for a few brief moments, he felt a joy permeate his being. Robert woke up Sunday morning in the same house he had fallen asleep in. There was no one beside him, and he stood from his bed tried to find the pond once more, but it was not there. And he wondered what it could have possibly been. Was it all real? Was it a dream? He wasn't sure, but he could have sworn he'd seen that woman somewhere before, and he resolved to find her. So he got in his truck, packed up his things, and left Valley Gate because nothing happens in Valleygate. Happy holidays, everybody, whatever you celebrate, and a happy new year.